Good morning, everybody. Everybody doing pretty well this morning? Hey, Nancy. It's good to see you. Yeah. Well, um, all right. We all made it here this morning, hopefully in one piece. I was thinking before we started today, sometimes the reality is, if we're real with each other, is that getting to church on Sunday morning is a battle. Would anybody agree with that? And, and the reality is, is that sometimes on Saturday nights, we have a huge fight with our spouse, or, or on Sunday morning, <laughs> either one, or, you know, there's some kind of conflict in the home with our kids. Um, somehow, part of the battle is that the enemy tries to come in and mess us up, you know, before we come in here on Sunday morning. Is that just me? or is there, Okay, good. Other people kind of experience that stuff. Well, I just want you to—I just want to let you know this morning that you're not alone, okay? If that ever happens, see. Now, fortunately, this morning was pretty smooth for me, but you know, last night was—we had a good night and everything. So I'm not here confessing some, you know, terrible thing that happened to me. I just want you to know that we can be real with one another this morning, you know, because we're all in this together. We're all facing a real enemy, and I don't want you to think that I'm up here some you know, just holier-than-thou person who you can't relate with. Or for, for that matter, anybody who's up here. Okay, we're down here as much as we're up here. So, amen. So, uh, I just want to share with you a few things that I feel like the Lord has put upon my heart about the season that we're in. Okay, and the things that I'm going to share is probably not some profound revelation, but it's just an observance of where we're at right now as a people, as a nation, as individuals, and some of the challenges that we face and, and what the Word of God has to say about some of these things that we're facing. Um, could you turn with me to Ecclesiastes chapter 3? Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verse 1. It says, um, there's a time for everything and a season for every activity under heaven. Verse 2, there's a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build. Skipping down to verse 8, says, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. Now, you know, nature that God created is pretty much evidence of that. You know, we're going through the fall season and uh, we see, you know, the leaves on the trees dying and falling off and then we know after we go through the winter, new life is going to come back again and spring forth. And so just to lay that groundwork that God has created in nature and in us and in the world and in every activity that we're, we're um, in, a time, a season. So it's important that we understand these seasons so that we know how to pray, so that we know what's going on, so that we know the enemies that we face or the things that come against us. Um, I was thinking about our nation this morning and over this past week, as I'm sure a lot of people are, considering what's going on in our nation. Um, and how it compares to like the nation of Israel 
that we read about in the Old Testament. And, you know, the nation of Israel experienced a lot of good times together, experienced times of peace. They also had some major battles to fight, right? They had a lot of enemies that God brought in their path that they had to deal with. Um, In the same way, in the story of our nation, we've enjoyed mostly peace and prosperity. That's just been simply the grace and gift of God. But there have been several times when we've arrived at a time for war. In the American Revolution, we fought Britain for our independence and for our freedom. In the War of 1812, we fought Britain again to secure our freedom. In the Civil War, we fought each other as a means of resolving some of the crucial issues of the day, which an interesting thing to note for you history buffs and those of you who aren't, that there's more men who died in the Civil War when we killed each other than there was in all those previous wars combined up to that point. That's kind of a telling note. Over 600,000 Americans killed one another in this brutal conflict during the Civil War. In World War I, we fought an alliance of European nations in order, as the President said during that decade or during that era, to make, we fought to make the world safe for democracy. <laughs> Seems like we're still fighting that battle. Uh, someone else called World War I, which was at the beginning in, the, in 1914, that it was the war to end all wars. That was their hope. But a few years later, in World War II, we faced yet another European alliance led by a demonic, a demonic tyrant hell-bent on our destruction. Although we tried to stay off the battlefield overseas when our homeland was viciously attacked on December the 7th, 1941, our American spirit, a spirit birthed out of the God-given desire for freedom, rose to the occasion. Thousands of men went to the offices and volunteered to fight for this nation, and yet other thousands of men and women stayed at home and prayed, fighting the battle in the heavenly realms first. In Vietnam and in Korea, our objective was to prevent communism spread around the world, which opposed freedom, and at its atheistic core, opposed the worship of the one true God and still does, as we might note. So, you know, right now we're fighting a battle against terrorism, against a sometimes unidentified enemy that is trying to infiltrate our nation and destroy our peace and security with the threat of violence at any moment. However, the most serious threat that we face right now is from an enemy that we have had for thousands of years. Osama bin Laden may be an enemy of our nation, but Satan is an enemy of mankind. He is hell-bent on our destruction and will stop at nothing to destroy our marriages. He'll stop at nothing to destroy your children. He'll stop at nothing to destroy our church. And he'll stop at nothing to destroy this nation that was founded and based upon the Word of God. I don't think Satan likes it too much. And I think that's why he's raising up men who would try to come and destroy our nation. So, you know, as Byron does every Sunday in preparing for 
this time of, of, of the sermon is asking God, what is going on right now, Lord? What are you doing around us? And what can we do about it? How do we get involved in it? So, you know, obviously, some of that is obvious to us. Let's look at some of the battles that we're facing right now. Not just the physical battles, but also the spiritual battles. And uh, see what the Lord would say to us about how to win those battles. Because I think the Lord would have us to win. Amen? We're not to sit back and accept defeat in our families. We're not to sit back and accept defeat of our nation or of our own spiritual lives. So here's the battles. Obviously, our security today. Thank God that He's protected us September the ele- since September the 11th. Um, he protected us yesterday. He's protected us so far today. I believe if we continue to ask for His mercy, He'll protect us from here on out. But it's ultimately up to God. He's in control. And Lord, we want to embrace You. We want to say that we, we will follow Your ways, Lord, as a nation. We again ask You for mercy, God. Everybody knows that the election's on Tuesday. I believe that this is one of the most critical moments that we will ever face in American history. So now's the time. Now's the time for the church to act, to rise up, and to take our rightful place. You know, we complain about how the church is not impacting society. Okay, well, let's do it now. Let's do it today. Let's impact society. And Jonathan Helser writes a song about an army marching on their knees, right? That's how we can do it primarily. We can get on our knees and we can cry out to God. That's why we wanted to take that time this morning to do that. So I just encourage all of us, let's do that. Let's do that today. Let's do that tomorrow and for the months and years to come. Um, This might seem a little somewhat unrelated, but, you know... um, Today is also an, a day of increase in the spiritual activity, okay, in the, in, in the realms of the Spirit. Um, regardless of your convictions about how your family does or does not recognize Halloween, um, Halloween is called Samhain or Samhain or however you want to pronounce it, which according to the ancient Druids, was a day to recognize or to appease the um, spirits of the dead. Okay, so if you look into like what the, the witchcraft in our country that's called Wicca, they recognize today as being a significant day on their calendar. Okay, so nonetheless we need to be aware that there is a dark realm. There have been, in fact... We found out about um, particular uh, witches in our community that have prayed against us or cast spells, whatever you want to call it. So we just need to be in prayer, knowing that the blood of Jesus is all that we need. The name of Je- at the name of Jesus, every demon must flee. We just can cry out Jesus over our children, over our schools, over our community. Jesus, we just ask for your protection right now. We just say that, that every demon has to go. Just go right now from Mooresville. 
Wash over us, Lord. Cleanse us. Thank you, Jesus. So those are some of the battles. Sometimes the Lord tells us to focus inwards as a family. Sometimes He calls us to rally the troops, band together and fight. So that would be the season that we're in at this moment. We are the family of God, but we're also a mighty army. There's a balance there. And if you look at Jesus, and when He came, when He was in the world, you see many faces that He had. He had the face of compassion that would point at the prostitute and say, your sins are forgiven, go and sin no more. He had the face of a doctor. You know, He said, I came to give life. He brought healing to the sick. He also had the face of, um, I guess you might say, a debater. <laughs> I don't, for a lack of a better word, who would confront the spirits of religion that would come against the truth of God's word. He also had the face of a warrior. You remember he put together a whip, and he went into the temple because the money changers were defiling the house of God, making it a place to just buy and sell things and desecrating the temple, and he went in there as a warrior and cleared house. You know, one time, he was talking to his disciples, and um, I think some of them, some of the followers hanging around with him, had this idea that he, was, he came to bring world peace. You know, sometimes you hear people say that today, well, if you're a Christian, then, you know, isn't Christianity a, a religion of peace? Well, yes, it is a religion of peace. However, Jesus said, I didn't come to bring peace, but I came to bring a sword. Now, Peter thought that he was talking about like a physical sword. You know, remember, he was ready to wage some physical war. And I think a lot of people were looking for that. But Jesus wasn't talking about a physical sword at the time. He was talking about the sword of God's Word. And when the truth is presented as truth, it brings division. Some people won't accept the truth. They will deny the truth. Some people will. So therefore, there is conflict. There's conflict even among family members. Probably some of you guys have disagreements with people in your family about truth, you know, about the Word of God. There's that in my own family with my brother. So... That's what Jesus was talking about, is the sword of the Spirit brings division. However, it's something that God knew was worth fighting for. Um, there's this, you know, we looked at Ecclesiastes chapter 3, which in the 8th verse it says, a time for war and a time for peace. In, uh, don't turn here, but in Micah chapter 4 verse 3 it talks about that they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. So it's talking about a time of peace there. But in Joel chapter 3, verse 10, God makes this, this principle also when He says, Beat your plowshares into swords and your pruning hooks into spears. Let the weak say, I am strong. So right now, this is a season to fight. Recently, Byron's been referring to 
Philippians 2, verse 25, where Paul refers to Epaphroditus as my brother, my fellow worker, and a fellow soldier. He's been emphasizing that as a church, we have to balance all of these roles. Right now, we must array ourselves in battle formation. Submit to our commanding officer and step boldly onto the spiritual battlefields that confront us. I, I feel like part of the vision for um, small groups or life groups or, or believers that meet in the home to study the Word of God together, to pray for one another, is to sort of divide ourselves into small companies, if you will. If you can visualize, you know, what the military uses. And I forgive me, I don't know, I wasn't in the military, but, you know, it's all broken down from large bodies of soldiers into smaller and then smaller and then smaller. If in our homes, in these life groups, if we can see ourselves as small little companies of soldiers that are bound, bound together, we're, we're a band of brothers and sisters to fight this battle that we're in. So, I just beckon you to intercede. Especially if God's you know, giving you a burden of intercession, um, a gift to pray. And for all of us, let us please pray. Um, one thing that's been noted recently is that a lot of intercessors have become discouraged sometimes. In the recent past, a lot of people who have really prayed traditionally and have really had that burden, have kind of given up and lost hope in that. So I just believe the Lord would encourage us to pray, to step forward in this area. That's the way that we can do battle. If you turn to Judges chapter 6, if I could just use this to illustrate what God can do with us, Judges chapter 6, verse 11. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth tree which was in Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abizrite, while his son Gideon threshed wheat in the winepress in order to hide from the Midianites. Midianites were the enemy. So Gideon is hiding. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. Gideon said to him, O oh my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his miracles which our fathers told us about? Saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us, and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. Maybe you feel like this in your own personal life. Oh Lord, where are all the promises that you gave me? If you are so great, why is my life falling apart? Why are things not working out like they should be? Or God, if you love us, why are we being attacked as a nation? Why do these people threaten our lives? Then the Lord turned to him in verse 14 and said, Go in this might of yours, and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? 
Do you see any might in Gideon? There was no might there. He was cowarding. He was afraid. And he was complaining before the Lord. But see, the Lord saw something in Gideon that he did not see in himself. So he said to him, O my Lord, how can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, Surely I will be with you, and you shall defeat the Midianites as one man. We shall gain the victory. God sees us differently sometimes than we see ourselves. We see ourselves as weary travelers. He sees us as valiant warriors. We see ourselves as less than perfect fathers. He sees us as commanding generals. We see a beaten and sometimes battered church, but He sees a strong platoon of soldiers with immeasurable strength. So, what battles are we fighting right now? And as a soldier of Christ, what does the Bible say about doing battle? Some of the current battles... Culturally, we're in a battle for truth. Truth with a capital T. The truth. Philippians chapter 3, verse 18. Paul says this, For as I have often told you before, and now say again, even with tears. So Paul's crying this out before them. With tears, he says, Many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach. And their glory is in their shame. Their mind is on earthly things. We need to understand these times that we live in. You know, the classic scripture from Chronicles where it talks about the men of Issachar that understood the times and they knew what to do. The Lord told them what to do. We need to understand the times in which we live so that we can respond with truth. So that truth can go forth from our lips. The culture that we live in it was a culture of ethical relativism. Paul described what ethical relativism is here. And he said it's when people live that the, the God is their appetite. The God is their stomach. In other words, whatever pleases them is what is right. Whatever pleases them is what is true. Whatever they see as the best philosophy, then that is the best philosophy. Relativism is an ethical philosophy that says that absolute truth is unknowable. And for the students of mine who are in Understanding the Times, of course at MCA, they feel like they're in class right now, but that's okay. It's good stuff. Truth is defined according to relativism by each individual for himself and or each society for itself. According to this code of ethics, each individual is responsible to determine what is right and what is wrong for himself. For example, one of the current presidential candidates recently said, quote, Personally, I am opposed to abortion. However, 
I have realized that I cannot legislate my moral values. In other words, he is saying that people should be able to decide for themselves whether they are going to murder a baby or not. The unfortunate part of all of this is that we, the church, as a nation, have been so influenced by this false humanist idea. Why have we allowed our morals, such as honesty, integrity, and purity, which results in good fruit in our lives, like a good reputation amongst our peers, a marriage that makes it the distance, and a home in which the presence of God dwells, why have we allowed these things to be downgraded by slight accommodations to wrong thinking? We must dwell on truth. We must think about truth. We must teach our children the truth. We must confront our everyday issues and problems with truth. We must engage our culture, our friends, our neighbors, our co-workers with the truth. For example, one of the truths is that God is love. John 3.16, one of the simple truths of Scripture, that God so loved the world. Okay, yeah, absolutely. And that no greater love hath this than that a man would lay down his life for, his, for a friend. Love is the most powerful weapon that we have in this war that we're fighting, or these wars, these battles that are raging. Love is the key. Yet it's so difficult. If we can love one another as we would love our own selves, things may be different. So let's take that as a challenge to us personally. That as a husband, I would love my wife as my own body, as it says. As a friend, I would look out for other, another person's needs before my own. As a neighbor, the same thing. A few points just to keep in mind about truth. Number one, there is absolute truth. Just in case you were wondering, truth is knowable. Number two. Three, the good news is that truth happens to be a person. Of course, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. That's right. And therefore, the way to know truth is to know Jesus. How did Jesus respond to situations? How should we apply truth to life situations? I just encourage you. Maybe it doesn't need to be said, but I'll say it anyway. Find out what Jesus says about things and apply that to your life. It's just as simple as that. Okay, quickly. The second battle that we're facing is individually. We're in a battle for our integrity and for our hearts. It's often been said that integrity is what you are when no one else is looking. Many prominent men of God have fallen into moral failure and compromise recently. We must remain vigilant to guard our hearts and minds. Just as the President has encouraged us after 9-11 to be vigilant, which means remain on alert and be aware of any suspicious activity, I encourage you to be on high alert when it comes to your personal integrity. It's on code red. Okay, High alert for personal integrity. Satan is the ultimate spiritual terrorist. He is planning ways in which he can harm you and get you to fall. Be aware. Be alert for unusual thoughts, compromising situations, 
unresolved issues like bitterness, anger, lust, addictions, etc., etc. Be aware. Be on alert. Some of you may have things that you thought were gone and done with years ago. Don't be surprised if all of a sudden there's some temptation. There's some thought. There's something. Be aware of that. These are the times in which we live. The enemy is out there. He's roaring about, looking for whom he may devour. These are serious times. We'll never be able to fight in the battle as a wounded soldier. If you do get into trouble with sin, there are several things that we can do. Number one, immediately renounce it and ask the Lord to forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. By doing this, it will close the door into your life that was open for the enemy to gain access. If you fly off the handle at somebody, well, okay, you flew off the handle, you blew it, you got angry, you sinned. Go to the Lord and just ask Him for forgiveness. Ask, say, Lord, I just renounce that. Just ask You to forgive me and close that door, Lord, that the enemy would try to get into my life. Secondly, tell a trusted friend about your problem. Ask them to pray and stand guard with you. Um, finally, um, don't make any agreements with the lies that the enemy tells you. Don't make any agreements. I just want to read... Real, real quickly, if I may, an excerpt from this book by John Eldridge on agreements. He quotes William Gurnall, who says, The devil has more temptations than an actor has costumes for the stage. And one of his all-time favorite disguises is that of a lying spirit. To abuse your tender heart with the worst news he can deliver, that you do not really love Jesus Christ, and that you are only pretending, you are only deceiving yourself. Satan is called in Scripture in John 8:44 the father of lies. His very first attack against the human race was to lie to Eve and Adam about God and where life is to be found and what the consequences of certain actions would and would not be. He is a master at this. He suggests to us, as he suggested to Adam and Eve, some sort of idea or inclination or impression. And what he is seeking is a sort of agreement on our part. He's hoping we'll buy into whatever he's saying, offering, insinuating. Our first parents bought into it, and look what disaster came of it. But that story is not over. The evil one is still lying to us, seeking our agreement every day. Now he goes on to say that, sadly enough, many accusations of the enemy actually can be spoken by Christians. Having dismissed a warfare worldview... They do not know who is stirring them to say certain things. The enemy used David, who apparently wasn't watching for it, to do his evil. Quote, Satan rose up against Israel and incited David to take a census of Israel. End quote. It's in First Chronicles. He tried to use Peter, too. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said. This shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. Heads up. These words will come from anywhere. Be careful what or who you are agreeing with. The whole plan is based on agreements. If you are having trouble taking in all of this, let me ask you, have you ever had this experience 
something bad happens, and you start telling yourself, what a jerk you are. Do you really think that the source of this is just you or God? Think about it this way. Who would take the most delight in it? Take it all real slow if you need to. Start by simply entertaining the notion that the source might be something besides just your low self-esteem. If Jesus said that the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy, well then why don't we think that the thief ever actually comes to steal and kill and destroy? Good grief, the things people just roll over and accept as God's will. The particular attack is not the issue. He'll steal anything to kill and destroy. During an assault like that, you must remember, make no agreements. The enemy will suggest all sorts of things. Like, you see, God doesn't care. You're not worth fighting for. Your heart doesn't matter. You can't trust Him. He's trying to kill your heart, destroy the glory of your life. It will feel hard, really hard, almost impossible. But whatever you do, make no agreements. You have to start there. Okay, so those are some practical ways that we can fight that battle individually for our own hearts and our own integrity. As a church, we're in the battle for, our, for the hearts of our community and for ourselves. Um, many of us have become wounded and discouraged soldiers. However, God is healing us. God um, healed women last weekend. Isn't that true? God is healing people physically. The Lord has said to us that the Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon us because He has anointed us to preach good news to the poor. He has sent, sent us to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That's what He has released us guys to do. He has sent us to release people. Just real quickly, John, Tell that what you were telling me right before church about those people that got healed. Uh, I just I believe that a lot of the church doesn't really believe that prayer works today. That they think it's something that was really happened when Jesus walked the earth. They don't they don't believe in prayer. Um, they're wrong. They're so wrong. You need to pray. Pray for one another. Pray for healing. I've seen in a group of four get together and pray, and prayers be answered within an hour of the people asking for it. Um, this church has a prayer chain on the Internet that I kind of attached myself to, and I have some people, prayer warriors back in Missouri where I went to church when I was living there, and that prayer chain back there now goes around the world. Uh, <laughs> a while back... A young man in Kansas City was injured in a car accident, badly injured. He was in a coma. The doctor said that if he lived, he would probably be a vegetable. We put him on both prayer chains. A couple of months later, the young man walked out of the hospital. He had to have a little bit of retraining, but he's fine. He's back with his, his wife. Uh, there's a, a man who had two brain tumors and he lives here in North Carolina. 
they couldn't operate. They took them in and were going to um, do x-rays and CAT scans and so forth to exactly pinpoint these tumors because they were going to uh, do uh, pinpoint radiation on them to try and destroy them. He was on both prayer chains. They took him in, did the x-rays and the CAT scan, no tumors, they were gone. There's a young boy, two years old, had massive cancer in his chest. His parents were told it was terminal. Could not operate. His parents fell away from the Lord because of this. The young man was put on both prayer chains. The parents took him back to the doctor to re-examine him. Cancer's gone. And they're back to the Lord. Pray, folks. Get together at home and pray with your spouses, with your kids. Pray. It, it's so powerful. It's so powerful. And pray for this nation. We're at a crossroads. They're, they're preaching to us, and we're starting to accept it as a nation that everybody has the right to do whatever they want. This says we don't. We don't. And we're accepting it. We have to stop it. And we can stop it. These rogue judges can be stopped. Right now, the county sent out a green brochure that has the judges in there and statements from the judges. Please read that. Read it carefully because they do state in there, I believe in the rights of everybody. Careful. Or, I believe in the family. There you go. And I believe that the family should stay together. And I believe the family is, is a unit that... Uh, it, it read their statements and take it with you to the polling booth. Vote the Bible, folks. Vote the Bible. Um, I want to make an offer... Uh, on Tuesday, by the way, my name's John Arney. My phone number is 704-662-6036. I'm in the phone book and I'm in the church directory. If you cannot get to the polls, you do not have transportation on Tuesday, please call me. I'll drive you. Just make sure you know where we're going because I can't help you there. But I will drive on Tuesday. Anybody that does not have transportation, please call. We need to vote. We need to stand up for the nation. Do you realize there's between 60 and 70 million Christians in this country who pray, go to church each week, and read the Bible? That's more than voted the entire election last time. If we would all vote, we could have the Ten Commandments anywhere we want. We could pray wherever we want. We could have Jesus with us all the time. Thank you. Amen. So to wrap this up, um, some of the methods of our warfare, I don't have time to go into the things that I really wanted to say, but just that we can take up the sword, just like Jesus said, we confront our, confront our culture with truth by taking up the sword of the gospel, that we can um, endure hardship by being strong in God's grace. Let's not forget the foundation of grace. That's refers back to what I said about the struggle to get here on Sunday morning, the, the ways that the enemy would come against us. Receive God's grace. That there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That we're all bought by the blood of Christ and nothing else. Be strong in God's grace. And finally, that worship is an important weapon in this battle that we're facing. 
be worshipers. There in Second Chronicles chapter 20, King Jehoshaphat sent the worshipers ahead of the army. That as we sing, shout, dance, strum every note on a guitar, or play every uh, key on the piano, or hit every uh, drum beat, the power of God is released to the armies of the heavenly hosts. There's a war going on in the unseen realm. And worship is a powerful weapon that can release um, strength to these armies that are going forth. So if you don't play an instrument, then just go home and put on a worship CD or put on nothing at all and shout to God. Even if you don't feel like it, just proclaim victory because the words that we speak have power. The music, if you play music, get alone with God and worship Him as we worship the heavenly host will win the victory. I believe that. So, in closing, I guess, as John was saying, the Lord is healing people. And that is the mission that we're on, again. That He has given us what we need to, to set free the captives. Okay, so if you're here this morning and you need to be set free, I've got good news for you. There's truth. And His name is Jesus and He will set you free. He will heal your afflictions. He will heal your emotional scars. He will heal your wounds and your diseases and everything that you can think of that, that will beset you. So we'll just make this time available as we conclude. For um, John, you can come back up here and pray for people for healing. If I could ask our elders to come forward and anoint people for healing. We're going to pray that God will touch you and that you can be healed.